0: Is that on now? I said, I'm a bit nervous, actually. I've been preaching, I think, 35 years, and I've been, in, I've been a pastor for 30 years, but when I'm in another church, I'm always really, I don't know about you, I'm always really, really nervous. And it's not because I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to you know, do a bad sermon. I mean, I died to that years ago. I do loads of bad sermons, and that's just the way it is. This, you know. But I just want to bring something from God, for you guys, to bless you guys. I want to thank Andy for having me here. really appreciate it. And Lisa and Julia and Matt and everybody else on the team. But thank you for having me. And um, I really want to do something before I go on. I want to pray for Andy and Lisa. And could we all stand up together and pray? Because I just have a burden to pray for these guys. And, and when I seen you there singing that God is going to bring good out of everything, my heart was just... I just feel you stepping out in faith. Father, we want to thank you. Just raise your hands to the Lord. Father, we want to thank you for Andy and Lisa. And Father, we bless them in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray for Lisa right now. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal her. That you would reset her mind, her spirit, her brain. And Father, you would bring peace which goes beyond all understanding, and that will guard Lisa's heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And Father, we're waiting, expecting, and longing for some good news of healing for Lisa, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. So yeah, it's great to be with you. I love coming to this church. I haven't been here since before COVID, and, you know, we were just talking about COVID earlier on. Wow, what a hard time. It was a difficult time for everybody. And, um, yeah, so I'm afraid to say too much because I don't want to get emotional because Dave is not here and this is the first time I've been here. Um, I wanted to talk about a few things. And I put down family, friends, and outcasts. And so i 'm going to talk about that in a, in a while, but I just want to tell you a, a little bit about me. I, thank you for, I do used to travel all over the world, but I have stopped doing it because a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with PTSD, and so I had to go to a counselor for ten weeks, and it was hilarious because you ring up and she says, "Oh, you know come along, and we 'll talk to you for twenty minutes, and if we hear her off, you know you can come back, and, and then we 'll go through everything so." goes up to the door. It was in the church office. And this hippie comes down with her hair up and she had a, a pen sticking out of her hair. And the minute she opened the door, I just thought, I'm never coming back here. Never. <laughs> and I think she's seen it on my face. Because after about 10 minutes, she was looking. She said, you know what, Christy? I said, the truth is, I can't help you. And I thought, yeah, I know that. <laughs> and then she just said, but you know what? Me, you, and the Holy Spirit... We can get through this, and I believe that God will heal you. And so we went to her, and it was really difficult. Some of it was really funny, you know, and some of it, you know, one of the things she kept on saying about my childhood, and she just kept on looking at me saying, you do know that that's not normal, you know? It was my normal. And after probably six or seven weeks, Linda said to me, why don't you ask her about why you don't stay in a room or in the house on your own? Because if I'm on my own... I'll put on the radio, I'll put on the TV, I'll have the iPad on. You know, if, if, if Linda, I'm in the house on my own and Linda is coming back from work and said, I'm gonna go into ads. I said, no, no, just come home and then I'll go with you because I just hated being on my own. So Linda said, why don't you ask the counselor why you're like that? So that this, we had a little 10 minute break and I said to her, well, I've just told you. And she said, do you know, when it happens, you know the incident? I said, yeah, I, I know exactly. I said, when I was four years old, I remember waking up in the house, and there was nobody in the house, and I was running around the house, and then I got a chair and I put it against the door, and I remember to this day opening the latch, and I went out, and there was nobody on the street, and I just fell down literally in the gutter screaming, and all the neighbours came out, and you know then my mom comes, she basically left me for ten minutes to run up to the corner shop, but you can imagine as a four-year-old, I mean, and from that day to this, I couldn't stay on my own. And the, the counselor just said to me, she said, do you know these Russian dolls? I said, yeah. And she took one out and she opened it up and she said, that's when you were four. Then she put it all back together again and she said, this is you now. She said, but when you're on your own, you go back to that inner four-year-old. And I thought, isn't that incredible? I thought, there you go. Now I know why I'm like that. Went home, told Linda, next day, Linda rings me three o'clock, where have you been? I said, been in the house. She said, What have you been doing? I said, I've been reading, I've been here all morning. And she said, Did you go out? I said, No, she said, what? She says, no, I'm just sitting here reading a book. And in the understanding of it, there was healing in that process. And and you know what? We don't understand everything. But the healing process is 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 difficult, isn't it? Because we, we you know, if we knew how it worked, we would always use it. But you know, it's a faith thing. And so over the years I've re- Responded to all these different things. Kosovo, um, Nepal, the Manchester bombings, Indonesia. Look, loads of places, loads of countries, all of Poland, Italy in the fires, all these places. And every time you go, you're confronted with the agony of what's going on. And, and you know, I was thinking, I need to be careful. So we went to Israel for three weeks. And we, we, we took three weeks out a couple of years ago just to try, you know, process all these different things and these feelings because what I used to do is just push them down you know men normally do that and leaders are great at pushing stuff down never tell anybody how you're feeling what you're going to never tell anyone that's what why to just push everything down and so we were in Israel Israel is a wonderful place if you haven't been you need to go I've been back there now five six seven times since and we do a bit of work over there with the Nazareth hospital with chaplains so we train the chaplains and so we go back and forth and the amazing thing about Israel, we, we drove from the Golan Heights, which is the top of Israel, to the end of it, which is Elat, and we drove through the whole. It only took us four and a half hours, and we drove through the whole thing. And the signs everywhere, and they have the weirdest signs in the world, because you see signs, tanks crossing. You know, what I think okay, and then low flying aircraft, and then then the deadly signs, mines. Do not enter. You will die. And then there's a sign on your way into the West Bank, if you are an Israeli citizen, turn back, you will be killed, you are not allowed. And these signs are everywhere. And I was looking at these signs, and there's other ones that I can't remember, and I was saying to them, oh, we should stop and take photographs. But when we got down to the Dead Sea, there was a sign there that really started a process of healing in my life. And when you get there, have you've ever been there? there's a big sign at the Dead Sea, geographically, it's the lowest place on earth. And there's a big sign. And it says, this is the lowest place on earth. And I looked at Linda and I said, I'm lower. And it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit said to me, we're going to go on a healing process. And I began to realize and, that I needed healing. And I gave away all my books um, last year about six eight months ago all the books you know you collect loads of books get them all away because I looked at them was like how to be a better preacher how to be a better pastor how to minister how to do and you know what this year God really spoke to us as a church and the theme for us this year is we must decrease and he must increase it's John the Baptist when he had that encounter with Jesus and the next day, it says that the disciples were baptizing people. And John the Baptist, they came to John the Baptist, and they were jealous. They were saying, look, at everybody's going to Jesus. And he said, I must decrease, and he must increase. And I just was going through this process of wanting to decrease and wanting Jesus to increase in my life. But it was like once I started the process it was actually becoming worse because deep down I really didn't want it decrease. You know, I wanted to be increasing, and and we were having this, this battle, and you know, I've been in hospital a couple of times, and um, it was just a really difficult time. And then over about four year period, um, God spoke to me and said there would be three signs that would be a sign, a final sign that everything would change in the United Kingdom. And the first sign was the queen would die. And you know, that's not really a prophecy. I mean, what was she, 93 or something when she died? But I was actually a chaplain at a funeral and it was really moving. And, And I felt the Lord say to me, this was over a four year period before any of this happened. That was the first sign. He said, the first sign is that the queen is gonna die. And it's gonna make a significant impact on the United Kingdom. And it's gonna bring in a massive change and when we were there, we were there for um, seven days. I spoke to 300 people. I prayed for loads of people. Tens and tens of thousands of people came to pay their respects. And it was just absolutely incredible talking to people. And everybody was saying, this, it's an end of an era. It's never going to be the same again. The second sign that God gave me was that there would be a non-Caucasian, non-white, non-Christian prime minister... And when Liz Truss and I thought, well, that's not going to work. As you know, 49 days later, we're out of vote. There was no even vote taken. We have Rissi Sunak, non Christian, non way And the third sign was that the Anglican Church will capitulate and will apologize and triplicate the LGBTQ community. And When those three things happened, the Lord said to me that there would be such a change in the United Kingdom, it would be unprecedented. Now, I know we said that when COVID came, but there's been three pandemics in in the century alone, the the last century alone. So we've had pandemics. It wasn't unprecedented. And so I began to ask the Lord, what is this unprecedented thing? And, and it took me months and months. And I was with another minister, a retired minister, and I was sitting with him, and he asked me straight, he says, so what's the outcome? So what, Christy? You've got these three signs. What's the outcome? And right as he spoke, I just felt the Lord drop into my spirit. And, and in, in the language of the Bible, it would go to, you can't present old wineskins and expect new wine because God won't do that. Jesus tells us he won't do that. And God is doing something new. He's going to do something new. And there's a few things in, in my life. One, I thought I would have to be really ready, really strong, the best preacher, the best pastor, the best leader. But actually, I have found in my weakness, I've become much better. I was with someone the other day. She's a counselor. I've worked with her for years. Never counseled. I went to counseling with her. But she knows us. We ministered together for years. And she looked at me and she said to me, You've changed. Because God is doing something new. Because for me to present myself to God, to receive the new wine, I have to become new. I can't present the old Christy with all my old habits and you know all the, the things I thought I knew and all of those different things. And so God has been speaking to me about these things and this whole idea that God is going to do something new. And then I've been talking about what of God, I don't know about you, but I've been incredibly frustrated over the past, I would say, five years, with the lack of salvations I've seen, with the lack of church growth I've seen. You know, I've traveled around the world. I've worked with Billy Graham. I've, I've, I've done things, and I, I'm, I'm telling you about my weakness, so I'm not trying to boast you. I've done things with Lewis Palau. We were at a conference, uh, an evangelistic event with Lewis Palau in America, 96,000 people. We went to Madrid, 36,000 people. And Thousands of people getting saved. And over the past five, six, probably seven years, for me, I don't know what it's about with you, but I've just, a trickle of people. And I'm saying, God, what's going on? This frustration, you talk to everybody. Normally when you, you, you know, when in Elam or when in their churches, there will always be a church that's absolutely flying that you'll hear somebody say, oh, do you hear, you know, Andy's doing great, loads of people are getting saved, somebody's doing great, loads of people are getting saved. And we're I hearing that, What we're hearing is an incredible increase in disasters. Incredible increase in massive changes. Institutions falling apart. Because God is shaking things. And anything that's not of God will break, will shatter, will fall to the ground. And so I've been thinking about these things. And I said to Linda... I really need to, you know, find out what the next step is. I'm 60 next year, and I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do? That probably gives me seven years if, you know, if the Lord doesn't come back and he gives me them seven years and officially, you retire. And I thought, what am I going to do with these seven years? Seven years, you know? I mean, my first instance, buy a sports car, red. That's, just, that's always a good one, you know? Um, no, I actually thought I'd buy a watch, a Rolex, for my 60th birthday. What what am I to do? You know, continue past them, you know. They will continue going abroad. And so I went to Ukraine three times. And when I was in Ukraine the third time, we were given out food. And it was surreal because it's, it's just like normal, except, you know, there's no roof on the buildings because it's been blown up. There's tanks around on the ground, blown up, and, you know, and people, you know, there's... No young women around, they all left, the, you know, they're all, all over the world as refugees, very few children, just old people and men. And it's just so sad, and they're giving out food, and this guy came, and I could see him from afar, he was on a bike, flying down the road, because they ring up and said, oh, we're, we're here with food, and so everybody comes. And when we got there, I was watching it, and there's people queuing up, and I, you know, you can't really hold it. And I was watching, I seen the last bag of food getting lifted up, and he just got there with swear. and and the translator said to him, sorry, come back tomorrow, you know. I said, look, we'll make sure, for sure, we'll we'll keep something for you for tomorrow. And the pastor says to me, can I introduce him? He was talking, and he was talking broken English, he was translating, and he says, do you know how we met? I said, no, you know, coffee shop, or We were in school. He said, we helped Ivan dig his mum and dad out of the rubble and we put him in the church van and then we got the death certificate the and we done the service for him. And so on the way back in the van, I thought, "That's it. I'm, I'm not going back to these places again. So I stopped doing that. And then I remember, I just felt God saying to me, go back to your roots, which was evangelism. That's what I always did was evangelism, preaching the gospel. And I wanted to quickly talk to you about family friends, and outcasts, because we all probably feel that frustration, and not seeing people saved, not seeing their families getting saved, and, and you know, I've taught evangelism, I know Andy had, you've gone around the world teaching people to do evangelism, all that stuff, and we've all done it, but in today's world, you think, you know, what is evangelism, you know, what are we called to be? Well, the Bible tells us that we're called to be a witness, we're just called be a witness to Jesus Christ to tell people what God has done in us and for us. That's all we're called to do. The whole idea of us going out and saving people is not true. We just have to be a witness, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And one of the things that I think we have to do is, 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 is first of all, our families, and they are the hardest. When I got saved first, I was so full. Of, of, of just a desire to see people getting saved. I just went around telling everybody I met. Now, I didn't do it very well because when the first got saved, I went in and all my family had criminals and the, you know, the, the robbing guns, the whole package. I ran in, into the sitting room, and said, You're all gone to hell. <laughs> my dad didn't talk to me for about two years, he, he, he blacklisted me from the family. The truth is, that is the truth. But we're called to bring good news, not bad news. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to realize that this is good news. What we have is good news, and we need to tell people about it. And instead of criticizing people and getting on Facebook, you know, I put on Facebook, God loves you, and I get nothing. If I put up a furry dog falling down a hill, 3,000 likes, you know, it's, you know, and, and you put up... There's another opinion against it or for it. And Christians are exactly the same. We're just putting up all this horrible stuff. And we could be putting up great stuff. Stuff with hope. Stuff with a meaning. And one of the things that I, I just want to remind you is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. You know, the first thing is we need to be intentional. I don't know about you, but, you know, over the past couple of years, especially, not just because of what I was going through in my life, but especially just not seeing fruitfulness, not seeing people responding, I just stopped telling people. I stopped, you know, trying to look for opportunities. I stopped being intentional about being a witness for Jesus Christ. I was in the church a couple of weeks ago, and I, I was mowing the grass and uh, um, I, I watering the plants and, you know, cleaning up. I had to get, we were having a barbecue, so I had to get rid of rubbish. And um, so I said, I'm going to flag down one of these guys. Picks up rubbish and just say when you come back to the church. Sure enough, there was a guy. Went up and said, can you come to the church, take some stuff, I'll I'll pay you. He said, yeah, come up, comes up. He gets out. I mean, you know, big guy. They always are. Tattoos right up there to his neck, all over his arms. And he was cleaning out the stuff. He said, is this a Catholic church? I said, no. I said, but, you know, I come from a Roman Catholic background. He said, my partner, his family is big into all that stuff. They even go on pilgrimage. I said, well, I've been just in Israel on, on a pilgrimage. I've been traveling around. Israel and, um, you know, he said, oh, I love the Mediterranean area. He says, I'm a scuba diver instructor. And he says, I, I go to Tunisia, I go to Egypt, and I do scuba diving. This is brilliant. He says, but I haven't been there. And he just stopped, and we were standing in the garden. He said, I haven't been there in a while. He said, actually, I haven't been there in, in two years. I said, oh, I said, why? He said, well, he said, I booked to go, and then and then he, he started to hesitate and he, then he said, I booked to go two years ago. He says, but my dad died two weeks. And the day that I was supposed to be on the flight, then he started to cry. I said, it's okay, don't worry, I said, it's fine. And then he said, um, I'm really sorry. He said, I just came crying. I said, yeah, I said, I know what it's like. I said, I, you know, it's trauma, it's, it's grief. And I said, you probably have no one to talk about. And, you know, I do this thing, ABC. I said, let me just help you. You know, I do this. And I told him a little about Ukraine. I told him a little about what I went through. And then I just said to him, you know, ABC, A is for appreciation. Scientifically proven, if you take five minutes, and obviously the Bible confirms, you take five minutes a day, five times a day, to think of something to appreciate your family, your friends, the weather. And, you know, the Bible says, meditate, concentrate on that which is pure, which is holy. If you do that five times a day, you will bounce back, resilient. The Bible calls it perseverance. B is for beliefs. We have loads of beliefs, but we need to believe in what we believe in. We believe in healing. So why aren't we praying for everybody that's sick? We need to believe in our beliefs. We believe that God is in control. He holds all things together. So we can believe in that, and we can rest in that known that God is in control of us. And the third one is connections, A, B, C. You need to be connected to God and you need to be connected to each other, your family, your friends. This guy is sobbing, this big lad is just the tears rolling down his face. He says, can I give you a hug? He said, yeah, you can give me a hug. We hugged there in the middle of the street and I thought, isn't that incredible that just in that moment, God could impact that guy's life. Next day, I ended up in a I was there for 30 hours, and after about 8 hours, they brought me upstairs. They left sitting in a chair in excruciating pain, and after 6-8 hours, they brought me upstairs, and when I went up, I was walking in, I was exhausted. I don't do hospitals, so I don't eat in them, so I've been in the hospital. I was in the hospital for 30 hours. I didn't drink, eat, I didn't even take the water. I had everything in the little bag, Mars Bar, Dr. Pepper, and my earphones and my iPad. And so, when I went in, it was in a neurology ward, so you can imagine all the, everybody's on drips and catheters and all this, and I walked in, and as I walked in, there was an old man just sitting right there, and the minute I walked in, he really nicely just said, hey, Skip, can you do me a favor? And I thought that's a nice way to address someone. I said, yeah, what can I do for you? He said, can you pull this catheter out? I said, no, I'm not a doctor. He says, the reason why I'm asking you because them effing doctors won't pull it out. And I tell him, what? He says, mate, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. I said, the doctors will look after it." He says, no, will you do it? I said, no, I can't do it. He said, I'll do it myself. And he starts pulling it out. Jumps on him, hold him down. Nurse, nurse, doctor. You know what? Doctors and nurses are like, you know, just struggle. Okay. Okay, Papa, what's going on? I said, he's trying to kill himself. i screaming. He's pulling this stuff out. They calm him down. They walk back out. She's just walks out the door. Then he gets the drip, and he starts trying to bite through it. So I jump back up, rip it off his mouth, hold him down. This happened for about two hours, and he just kept on getting up and pulling himself up, and it was horrendous. So I said to the nurse, I can't do this. I said, I'm gonna pull my curtains, I'm gonna put on my earphones, nice cancellation, and I'm gonna go to sleep. Of course I didn't, I binge watched Netflix for like nine hours until Linda came up and then, I went down for a CT scan. When I come back, they had taken the catheter out and um, he was sitting with his wife and I come back in he said, um, he said, can I ask you your name? I said, yeah, it's Christy. He says, um, Christy, I just want to say I'm sorry for what i done to you last night. I said, no, no, it's okay. don't worry, I'm a pastor. I'm used to people killing me, beating me up. It's just the <laughs> church people. You think that's bad? <laughs> Being a minister for 30 years and let's see how that works out. But he started to cry. And I was just standing there, and he, his wife and everybody was looking, and I said, look, I do this thing, ABC, so I gave him the ABC, and I took his wife out to the chapel and I prayed, and then I come in, and, and everybody was there, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this, and I thought, let me pray for you before I go. And so I just prayed this prayer for him. The whole place came to a standstill. And I thought, isn't that incredible that God is doing something, something different, just by being a witness, not by trying to be an evangelist, not by trying to grow the church, but just being a witness, telling people the brokenness that I've gone through and how Jesus is with me in this brokenness and He's, he, he, he's, he's bringing healing. But it's not easy because don't forget, Jesus says, You will have trouble in this world, but do not be afraid for I have overcome the world. I was thinking about buying a watch for my 60th, and I went into a jewellers in Brighton, and when I was 40, all I, I, the family pitched in, and I, and I bought a, a Seamaster, an Amiga Seamaster. It's a nice watch, and I love it, and, and so I thought, I'd love to buy another watch. And um, so I went into the jewellers, and I'm sitting there, and, and it goes in, and I know it's an expensive jeweler's, but the lady came over with an iPad she said, Would you like to take a seat? And I said, Yeah. And she said, Would you like to order something from the menu? And there was champagne, beer, water. You know. So I said, Yeah, I'll have a sparkling water. And I thought, OK. So the guy said, So what do you think? I said, I have a, uh, a Seamaster. He said, Oh, did you see the new Seamaster? I said, No. He said, Let me show it to you. I said, Great. He comes in, bring a beautiful watch. Absolutely beautiful watch, and I'm sitting there. He's talking to me. I'm talking to him, and I'm like, you know what? I want to know how much is it. You know, the weight of it. And so I said, wow, wow, that's heavy. He said, yeah, it's 18 karat gold. I said, wow. I said, so can I ask you what's the price on this watch? He said, forty thousand and two hundred pounds. I'm like, why is it just not forty thousand? Because I'm not giving you forty thousand two hundred. I'll give you forty thousand, but you're not getting the two hundred pounds, you know. And so he says, where are you from? I said, from Dublin, but I, I live here in the south. I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from um, Bulgaria. I said, what part? He said, Bul- uh, Plovdiv. I said, oh, I love Plovdiv. I used to go all the time to Tremontium Hotel and blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, that's amazing. I said, what are you doing over there? I said, well, I, I, I do humanitarian aid, and you know, I, I'm a chaplain, and um, you know, I travel a lot. I've, I've just been to Ukraine. And he said, what's the like of this?" I said, oh, it's, it's dreadful. I said, I, to be fair, I said, I've given up. I wouldn't go back, it was, it's so bad. And he says, to him, he, I said, Do you want to see some photos? And I showed him a couple of photos of a couple of tanks blown up. And we're in the shop. His manager is there. security guy is there because he's looking at me thinking 40 grand. So he's standing <laughs> at the door like this, you know, letting me know you're not getting out this the store, you know. And so he starts crying. 26-year-old sales guy. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what on earth is going on? and so I just, ABC told them, and you know you need to believe in God, connect with God connect with your family, connect with your friends and it's just simple before I would carry in tracts I would have a plan I, I'd be scouring around for victims everything and now it's just walking in God and being a witness I love the story, I, I probably even preached it here and the paralyzed man, when, when they brought a friend to Jesus and, and they went and everybody was in the house and there was no room. So they climbed up on top of the roof. You know, one of the things about being a witness is you have to overcome the obstacles. You know, you can't walk up with, you You know, bringing someone to Jesus. And, oh, there's an obstacle. You know, that's it. I'm finished. They overcame the obstacle. They dug a hole in the roof. And I love it. In the NIV it says, and they put their friend down right in front of Jesus. That's all we have to do. We don't need to be clever. Just put people in front of Jesus. Give them an opportunity to see him. Tell them about him. Not stories that you read in the Bible, but stories that he's done in your life that reflect the stories that's written in the Bible. And you know the amazing thing? I love it. It says that Jesus looked at them and he responds to their faith. Don't answer questions only God can answer. Don't look at somebody and say, oh, they're never going to get saved. You know, if you bring people to Jesus, even if they haven't got faith, God will respond to your faith. We need to be intentional about this. It has to be part and parcel of our life. It can't be in the department, Friday night evangelism, you know, Saturday morning giving out tracts. It has to be part and parcel of our life. We have to be intentional about being a witness for Jesus. We also have to have faith. And see, I think that's the challenge for us today. You know, if you said to me 10, 15 years ago, I I was with a guy for for years and years, Mike D'Sanza, he was a New York cop and we evangelized loads of places and and Mike was a great man of faith. And he would come in and he'd look out and he'd say to me, Christy, how many people's out there say, you know, whatever, three hundred people. How many people's on say, Pastor, maybe twenty people. Say, right, Christy, we're gonna believe for twenty souls. And he would come out, he would preach, and sure enough, when he made the appeal. And see, I think most of us and there may be exceptions and, you know, brilliant if you're the exception. But I think most of us haven't seen a lot of fruit in this area over the past few years. And if you have, God bless you and see more. And the problem with not seeing fruit is you, you kind of, you don't want to do it because you don't really believe anything will happen. Do you remember years ago, I, I said to God, God, you know what? I don't see as many people healed as I want to see. And God said to me, I don't see you praying for as many people as I want to see healed. And you know, when you don't see stuff happening, and I got worried this year about the church in general. I thought, if God has switched on the Holy Spirit button of people getting saved, people get saved through hearing the gospel. And I just wondered if if God has just put us in a season where he's going to advance his kingdom in the midst of all the difficulty that's going on in the world. And if we're not witnessing, if we're not telling people, how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? because I don't know about you, in the past couple of years I haven't been telling them, maybe you've been telling everybody, I haven't. And they need to know. And there will be obstacles. We have to push through the obstacles. When we were in Israel, we met this guy, um, Father Kelly, and um, he runs this amazing place called the Magdala Center. It's Mary Magdala, it's a church, a beautiful church. And I come from a Roman Catholic background, and normally I don't like revisiting that. You know, it doesn't do anything for me, you know. I, I, but I was told that there was a first-century synagogue because when they were building the church, they found the first-century synagogue when they were laying the foundation. And it's in Galilee, and the, the old route to Nazareth. So it's at the end of the route from Nazareth. And, and the Bible says that Jesus left Nazareth to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And he went to the galley. And so he would have most definitely come through here. And he would have most definitely preached in this area and probably preached in this very synagogue. And so we, we went down. And when you go down, the church downstairs where the synagogue is, the church upstairs, like any other Roman um, Catholic church, it's very nice, but it's just... When you go down, there is a sense of the presence of God. And when you stand there, there, he has this massive mural, which was done by a very famous French artist. And it's the mural of the woman touching the hem of Jesus' garment. And it's absolutely striking. And just as she touches him, there's a little spark. And I said, friends, family, and outcasts, because this woman was an outcast. And I mean, the more you look into, and I've looked over and years, she was such an outcast, you couldn't believe it. If she bumped off you, now you become unclean. And if I bumped off him, now he becomes unclean. So when she was walking around, especially the religious leaders, they would have literally kept her, her arm's length. You know, Some documents would say that people would shout out at people like that. Go away, don't walk down this street. I mean, you just couldn't imagine how difficult it was, culturally. She couldn't go near the temple. Spiritually, she had nothing. But something in her believed that if she only touched the hem, the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be healed. And she crawled through that crowd. And she touched them. And immediately, Jesus said, who touched me? And then, all the disciples. I think disciples sometimes thought they were bodyguards because they were always keeping people away from Jesus. And I think we can be like that in church. I think we can easily, keep, you know, the, the children were coming over. and, they, oh, you just go away. Remember the guy, Jesus, son of David, help me. Shut up, leave the master alone, you know. And it, it's a, a funny relationship with them. And so, who touched me? Jesus, come on. <laughs> Look around, there's five, six, seven hundred people. Everybody has touched me. Says, no, no. Who touched me? They still didn't work around. What Jesus was saying is, who touched me with faith? See, we can touch Jesus every day and not be changed. But if you touch him with faith, your life will be transformed. You will have an encounter with God which will transform every part of your life just by touching them with faith, worshiping them with faith, praying for people with faith, looking for people with faith, preaching with faith. It changes everything. So we need to be a witness. I'm not here to tell you to evangelize. I don't even know what that means anymore. But you're a witness. Be intentional. Put yourself intentionally in God's way so he can use you. You will have obstacles. You need to break through the obstacles. But we're even little reluctant in these days to talk about faith, aren't we? Because all of us feel we don't have faith. Can I have your water, Wibs? all of us feel we don't have enough faith but you know the bible says a must to see the faith thanks a little tiny piece of faith and you can move a mountain so we're not looking for massive faith and i told you the kind of journey that i'm on and this year the whole thing is we must dis- decrease and he must increase and so i said i'm going to preach if we want to be like jesus that's that's, that's what it means for me, you know, the Bible says that my life is hidden in Christ. Well, unfortunately, Christ's life is hidden in me. That's the problem. And so when we were talking about this with the leaders and that, I said, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to preach on the Sermon on the Mount. And I have been so liberated in so many years when I preached I'm blessed at those who are poor in spirit. Because I've tried my whole life to be spiritual, to be rich in spirit, to to be able to offer stuff around, to be able to do something, to be able to preach better. I said in the beginning, do church better, all of this stuff. And when I read that, John Stoss says, the best translation of that in modern English is, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Nothing to offer. That's when Christ... Lives in me, and because of his life is reflecting from me and from you, people will see that they don't want to see. You know, come on, some of the stuff I've done, you know, it's like think positive and you know, be positive. And be, I used to wear suits, remember the business suits, everybody wore suits. I mean, you know, all trying to be something, all trying to present something. We just have to let Christ shine out of our lives. As we decrease, die to self, pick up the cross, he will increase. And as he increases, when we recognize, when you look in England today, and you think we've nothing to offer of ourselves. You're right, we have nothing to offer. You know, the JWs build better churches. The Catholics are better with mysticism. The Muslims are more committed to prayer five times a day. The Mormons are great at evangelism. Every Mormon child has to go on the evangelism for two years. So what have we got? The presence of God. Moses said, I will not leave this place until your presence comes. And if we have that presence, we won't, we won't be like any other nation on the face of the earth. Because it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we let him loose through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will see a transformation in our communities, in our country, in our cities. It doesn't come by us getting spiritually strong or us getting better or us doing another course. And do a course. I'm doing a course on Tuesday. Do the courses. They're all great. Keep us busy. And you're not messing up anything else that God doesn't want you to mess up. But God is going to do something new. And you need to present new wineskins. And he will pour new wine and it will be like nothing we've ever seen before. And it will come out of humility and brokenness and faith and a desire that all men will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're just going to pray if that's okay. We bless you, Lord. Father, we bless you. Father, we just thank you. Just let the Holy Spirit just gently rest across the people of God in the balconies, everywhere. Just allow the Holy Spirit, because he's here, where two or three are in the midst. And just let him rest upon you now. And for those of you who are thinking you're not worthy, you're right. You're not worthy. But he still wants to rest on you. Those of you who think you're an outcast, we're all outcasts. In some way. Just allow him to rest upon you. Holy Spirit. Increase. Your presence. More Lord. More of your Holy Spirit. In the name. Of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, just increase your presence. You you put it on your leaflets. Come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle in heart and spirit. And we're telling others to come to him. But yeah, so many here this morning that are burdened. So many people who are struggling emotionally, physically, you need a touch from God. You know, there's a lot of people here this morning asking, Why, Lord? And it's okay because Jesus cried out on the cross, Why have you forsaken me, O Lord? And it's okay to ask why. Bless you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, increase your presence. He came to heal the sick, release the oppressed. And there's a number of people that feel really oppressed in the mind. You have battles in your mind constantly. You haven't spoken about it to people. And I want to say be still in the name of Jesus. Just be still in your mind. In Jesus' name. There's one person here you've been anchored to a traumatic event in your childhood. And even as an adult, you're trapped in that event. I just see God picking you up, the Father heart of God, and taking you out of that situation. And he wants you now to allow it to be taken out of your mind. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And as you forgive that person, you're going to be set free. It doesn't justify what happened, but as you forgive, you will be released By faith right now, just in your mind, just say, Lord Jesus, I forgive them, I release them, and I hand it over to you. Bless you. I think you just have a prayer team. So if anybody wants prayer, you can announce that. If you want me and Linda to pray, we'll pray. If you want a prayer team to pray for you. I want to thank you. Appreciate your openness. And um, just thank you so much and thanks again for having us. We really appreciate it.